Hello, this version is only for people who understand Norwegian and is a mix of English and Norwegian with no English overdub. Hello, X. Hi, X. Hello, X. Um, Hello, X. You're doing good. Uh, I hope that we didn't screw up the earth yeah, too much. Well, and that it's, uh, I want to apologize for it. It's Hello, X. And hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hello X podcast. I'm Christine Sin. Annelie Stieberg is working on another episode. This episode is part one of a two-part series on virtual nature. Onwards, onwards, 50 years ahead to 2068. Today's episode comes from an idea being developed by the HelloX writing team. They've proposed a virtual reality version of nature that's very popular in 2068. This virtual nature includes memories of outdoor places from the past. Places that might look and sound different in your time, X, than they do in ours. How many birds will you see in the sky in 50 years? Will you see the same birds we see today? While many plants, animals, and insects are currently in decline, we have taken a special interest in coastal birds both because they are good indicators of the health of marine ecosystems and because seabirds symbolize life between sea and land here in the Arctic and beyond. In the last episode, we spoke with Zoe Burr about how the puffins she studies are struggling to keep their chicks alive. Today we speak with two specialists in seabirds from the Norwegian Institute for Nature Research. In part two of Virtual Nature, releasing in just one week, we'll hear a conversation from North Norwegian novelist Sigbjörn Skoden and game designer Ismet Bakhtiar from our creative team on the meaning and origin of virtual nature in the ex-fiction world. My name is Jan Robustness, but also Tari. Nina i Tromsø i snart 27 år og har hele tiden jobbet veldig mye med sjøfugl primært. Janove specializes in ecotoxicology and works within the Fram flagship program on hazardous waste. Jeg heter Tone Reijertsen og jeg jobber også her ved Norsk Institut for Naturforskning. Jeg har ikke jobbet like lenge som Janove, men jeg har jobbet med sjøfugl som jeg nå også jobber med nå da, i de siste 10-11 årene. Tone Reyertsen is a contributing researcher to the Fram flagship on effects of climate change on coastal ecology in the north. In the 80s, Janovis started his career studying birds on Björnøya, or Bear Island, in the Barents Sea. Fantastic. Björnøya was 1980-talet. I was a young student and I Og hadde vært i sjøfølkolonier før det, men bjørnene var overveldende altså, når det var i mengde med fugl. Altså, spesielt lomvi og 
alarmvida som var i såna mängder som jag inte kunde förstått mig. Det är er av väldigt få öje i barnsalen. Därför tilltrekkes enormt mycket ful björnar för att häcka där för det har få platser de kan häcka. Samtidigt som det är er väldigt goda matförhållanden runt björnar. Let's take a moment to unpack the facts about the birds on Bear Island. If you've read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you'll know that Norway has an award-winning coast with, quote, lovely crinkly edges and over 50,000 islands. Bear Island is the southernmost island in the Norwegian Svalbard archipelago. You might remember Rust, the island in Lofoten where Zoe Burr studies puffins from the Clown of the Sea episode. Rust is in the transition zone between warmer southern oceans or boreal seas, and the colder Arctic waters of the Barents Sea further north. On the map, Bear Island looks really isolated, sitting alone in the Barents Sea some 235 kilometers away from the main island of Svalbard, and nearly as far away from the North Norwegian coast. Bear Island became a nature reserve in 2002 because it provides nesting grounds for tens of thousands of seabirds. Like the thick-billed guillemot, black-legged kittiwakes, common guillemots, little alps, purple sandpipers, pink-footed geese, geese, and long-tailed ducks. And why are there so many seabirds on Bear Island? Many of the birds come to raise their chicks on the dramatic cliffs of the island's southern coast. These towering cliffs protect baby birds from predators like foxes. And they often have strong winds that can help the birds take flight. Very convenient. And you might be wondering, how many bears live on Bear Island? The answer is none. In the past, some polar bears used sea ice to reach the island. But with Arctic sea ice rapidly retreating, any bear that makes it to Bear Island becomes an instant news item. Why didn't they name the island Bird Island? Actually, that was the original name given by Dutch explorer Willem Barents when he first sighted the island over 400 years ago. But it was later changed when someone saw a bear swimming nearby. One bear versus tens of thousands of birds. Well, go figure. Let's get back to Jan Ove on Bear Island in the mid-80s when suddenly the bird populations crashed. Det som var lite trist det var ju att året efter på så hade du ett kollaps i Barentshavet så det blir väldigt mycket mindre ful där ett 1986 där var där. Det var ju den här loddkrisen som var i 1986-87 som som förde till särinvasion på norska kusten det förde till kollaps i alla sjöfuglbestånden egentligen. For Arctic biologists around the Barents Sea, 1986-1987 was an important and difficult time. Norwegian cod fishermen were finding seals in their nets instead of cod, and seals were actually climbing out of the water onto beaches, roads, and farms along the North Norwegian coast. Later, it was discovered that the cause was a crash in the number of capelin, a small silver fish on which many animals, including humans, 
rely on for food. You might recall how Greenlandic hunters told stories about Capelin in episode one, who is X. Capelin populations are sensitive to overfishing and to water temperature, and are closely monitored by scientists who help set fishing quotas, and by researchers studying climate change effects in the Arctic. The Capelin crisis of 1986 created a ripple effect across the Arctic marine ecosystem. And is a perfect example of how every living being is interconnected in a dynamic biological system. For seabirds, the Capelin crisis was devastating. Guillemots that Janove saw as a student on Bear Island went from 245,000 pairs to only 36,000 pairs. The guillemot is now listed as critically endangered on the Norwegian Red List. The common guillemot is in the auk family of seabirds, along with the puffin. Auks have a relatively long lifespan of around 20 years, slow reproductive cycles, and are generally restricted to cooler northern waters. They use their wings to fly underwater. Typically, the common guillemot can dive between 20 and 50 meters deep. But has been recorded diving as deep as 180 meters or 590 feet, which is pretty incredible. Guillemots are also fast in the air, with a flight speed of 80 kilometers per hour or 50 miles per hour. The common guillemot has a black head and white belly and looks a lot like penguins from the Antarctic region. In fact, the great auk or the Norwegian dodo was. Also called a penguin before it was hunted to extinction. Icelandic artist Valentin Mans made a collage artwork using the great auk or gærfugl in Norwegian, which you can see on the episode webpage, along with a link to a video of the guillemot flying underwater. Because birds are at the top of the marine ecosystem, any changes in the food supply, from algae to small fish like the capelin. Will have dramatic effects on seabirds. Seabirds are increasingly being recognized in the scientific community as indicators of marine ecosystem health. The more we understand seabirds, the more we understand about the entire marine ecosystem. So when many seabird populations are declining at the same time, this is a big red flag that something is changing in the sea. När det gäller sån typiska skuglefjällsarter som som alkefuglar och eh, krysse och en del mosefuglar sånt så så är er kanske bilden lite mer sån lite diverst på en måte. Så det är er inte sån att alla arter går det väldigt dåligt med och eller alla bestämmer går det väldigt dåligt med. Men eh, generellt sett så är er väldigt många av de skuglefjällsarterna vi har i, I Norge är trua eller är er på den norska rödlistan på en eller annan måte. While Tona studies a number of Arctic seabirds, she has a particular fascination for the guillemot. She observes them up close, week after week. She says she learns a lot through this intimate contact, especially when the young birds decide it's time to leave home. Vi jobbar väldigt tätt in på dem. Vi sitter i ukesvis väldigt närt, har nära nær kontakt med dem. Och man lär sig väldigt mycket av av att vara så nära dem samtidigt som man blir väldigt upptagen av dem. Ungan till den här arten, de hoppar ut för fjällen för de kan fly. 
Og det her skjer jo hver sommer når vi jobber med dem. Og når det skjer, så kan det være tusenvis av de her ungene som hopper samtidig. Og det at fra de forlater de her trygge reireplassen, og gir seg ut og liksom hiver seg ut for et stup og det steiner, og det de kan risikere å slå seg ihjel og bli spist av andre fugler. Det er ganske magisk når det regner sånne her lombionger ut. These evil Knievel guillemots may have no fear of flying, but the regional population has yet to recover from the Capelin crisis of 1986. Lomvien er jo kritisk trua i Norge. Det vil si at det, liksom, det er det veldig like før at den, altså da er det nærtstående at den går, blir utdødd. Men nu har vi heldigvis sett en litt sånn positiv tendens, hvis man kan kalle det det, sånn, de siste ti årene når det gjelder lomvi i enkelte, enkelte plasser, særlig i nord. Recent research by Tone and her colleagues show that guillemots in northern Norway might be indirectly benefiting from climate change through a local increase in one of their favorite foods, juvenile cod. These young codfish are moving north as waters further south get uncomfortably warm. Og så länge som det holder sig på det nivået som det er da, så ser det bra ut. Men det er veldig sånn skjørt. Det kan jo plutselig tippe over til å gå veldig dårlig igjen og sånt, så det er veldig komplekse ting som virker på dem. For Janove Busnes, it's the eiderduck, or arfull, in Norwegian, that's captured his imagination for 27 years. Eider ducks are large diving ducks that breed in the circumpolar Arctic. The arfull, as they're called in Norwegian, are classified as nearly threatened on the Norwegian red list. The males can be identified from far away due to their flashy black and white breeding plumage which, when I asked Valentin, reminded him of Karl Lagerfeld, uh, with a bit of green blush on. I know next to nothing about high fashion, but to me, the females wear a more understated range of Burberry browns. In earlier times, eider ducks and humans lived symbiotically, Communities in northern Norway would protect the ducks in order to harvest eider down from their used nests. Nowadays, most of the feathers in your puffy winter jacket probably come from commercially farmed geese. Here's a little fun fact. Eider ducks have really strong stomach muscles to crush all the shells in the shellfish that they eat. Which reminds me of that guy who ate an airplane on TV when I was a kid. So the eider ducks have these incredible stomach muscles that can crush these shells. But it takes a lot of energy. And like the capelin, those little silverfish, mussels and other shellfish are also affected by climate change. The thing is, eider duck mothers cannot afford to eat bad food. Det som er spesielt med ærfuglen er jo at, at hun også spiser ikke noe rug. Hun prøver å bruke så mye tid som overhovedet mulig på eggene. Bygge opp en veldig stor fettreserve før hun legger egg. 
So eider duck mothers are extreme moms. They don't nest on cliffs, so in order to protect their eggs, they just sit there for three and a half weeks without eating at all. In this process, they lose 30 to 40% of their body mass until they're literally skin and bones. Minst i själv varje dag och spiser en kråkebord som man kanske spiser ännu mer. Kan anta och frukter har en effekt på på såna arter är er, eh, klimatändringar. Den maten de spiser, så du har blåskäll och kråkebollar. Det är er väldigt mycket skall och lite mat egentligen. Och det är er lite som kan nyttiggöras. Rytmen till blåskäll för exempel ändras. De gjut kanske tidigare. Kanske är för hon avhängig av att när hon ska lägga ägg, är för hon ska lägga ägg så kanske avhängig av att spisa blåskär av god kvalitet. Och om den goda kvaliteten inte är er där, så klarar du kanske inte att fullföra häckningen. Du kan se att den kan riskera sulta på full mage. And why might the fate of these birds matter to anyone besides scientists and bird watchers? How is their fate entwined with the future of X in 50 years? Earlier, we spoke about seabirds as translators for the oceans of the world. In 50 years, it's possible that a large amount of our food will come from aquaculture, which biologist Elena Haltunen spoke about in What's Eating You Part 2. There has never been a more urgent time to pay attention to what these birds are telling us about climate change and life in the sea. For sjøfugl generelt så vet vi at klima er antageligvis en av hovedårsakene som tillatt mye av bestandsnedgangen. Og da er det jo indirekte, fordi at klima virker på for eksempel havoppvarming, og som da fører til at Byttedyrene enten ikke blir tilgjengelige lenger, de går dypere, de flytter seg til andre områder, eller at sammensetningen av byttedyr endrer seg. Hvis en art som som krysje nesten er i ferd med å ut, bli utryddet, eller jeg skal ikke si at den er utryddet, men at det går veldig, veldig kraft tilbake, så er det klart at det er et veldig sterkt signal at her er det virkelig noen endring som sker i forhold til fordelingen av matressursene i havet. More than any bird that raises eyebrows among scientists here in the Arctic, the kittiwake, or kryhja in Norwegian, is the one that seems to worry everyone. Kittiwakes are gentle-looking small seagulls that nest on steep cliffs and increasingly on buildings and other man-made structures. The name comes from the calls they make. Kittiwake, kittiwake. Jag har jobbat på Honeya i 12 år nu, är det. Och när jag kom dit så var det en sån 10.000 par som häckade där. Det var väldigt sån enormt. Du kom in under det här fuglefjellet. De lager väldigt mycket ljud så de är er ganska så mäktiga. Det är er sån vit vägg som möter med väldigt sån öredövandes ljud. de årene jeg har vært der, så har det nesten blitt stille. Altså ikke helt stille, heldigvis akkurat der, men jeg vet i mange andre plasser langs norske kysten så har det blitt stille i de fuglefjellene, fordi krysset har blitt borte. 
In Norway, the kittiwakes are now considered extremely threatened. And globally, they've now reached the status of vulnerable on the IUCN Red List. So far, we've discussed how the problems of seabirds can provide vital insights to the greater marine ecosystem. Seabirds are the translators of the health of our seas in the Arctic and beyond. What other value might we find in seabirds? Men jeg tror sånn følelsesmessig for folk som bor på kysten, og som alltid har bodd på kysten, så har sjøfugl hatt en veldig stor uh, verdi. Ja, jeg er enig. Jeg tenker jo at, at sjøfugl langs kysten er veldig sånn, sterk sånn, symbolverdi. Altså det at den viser liksom, hvor livskraftig vår kyst er på en måte. Det, det blir med en sånn følelsesmessig verdi, men også en sånn stor naturverdi. Altså det at, og rekreasjonsverdi. Jeg synes det er veldig trist hvis vi skulle begynne å møste sjøfølarter på norske kysten, for eksempel krysja, hvis den skulle bli borte. Jeg har vært på noen sånne konferanser hvor du liksom sitter en hel sesjon og du bare får sånne depressiv og du ikke går ut derifra. Du sånn, er det noe vits? Skal vi bare liksom finne et nytt yrke? <laughs> Men samtidig så er det jo en del, altså det å... Altså, vi blir jo litt sånn detektiver i det hele, og vi, det at vi har litt sånn tidspress på oss når det gjelder enkelte arter, sånn, så blir man jo litt sånn, nei, vi skal, vi må liksom ikke miste håpet, vi må liksom prøve å finne, er det noe vi kan gjøre? Det å bli interessert i fugler som barn, for de fleste er veldig spesielt. Det er ikke så mange av oss. Hvis man gjør det til et yrke, så kan det fort bli sånn at det blir fort mye tall og statistikk av det. Man kanske glömt lite bort i många år har förföljt att det kanske varit lite glömt bort den liksom den fascination det är faktiskt något som har bytt och kommit tillbaka nu när jag blivit mer upp i åren att det faktiskt följer den här glädjen av att bara se på fåglarna faktiskt och farga och glädje över det faktiskt As we close part one of Virtual Nature, we'd like to ask, will these bird cliffs and colonies full of sound and life be experienced mainly through virtual reality in the future? What kind of substitute is virtual reality for the value of these places and beings today? Should we be gathering images and memories of Arctic islands with names like bear and horn and voice to commemorate the ancient nesting sites of the Guillemot, Eiderduck, and the Kittiwake? What about culture? Will cultural elements and connections be lost when the birds are silenced? Stay tuned for part two of Virtual Nature coming very soon to speak with novelist Sigbjörn Skoden and game designer Ismet Bakhtiar about the genesis and meaning of virtual nature in the X-Fiction stories. Find links to an animated film we made with kids about the kittiwake and much more on the episode webpage. 
Special thanks to Tone Reertsen and Janova Business and all the people seeking to translate what the translators of the sea are telling us. We want to hear from you about the places you'd like to upload for your future grandkids or anyone in X's generation to experience in virtual nature. Please email us a voice memo from your phone at hellox at ice-9.no. That's hellox at ice-9.no. This episode of Hello X was co-produced with FROM, the High North Research Center for Climate and the Environment, with its flagships, Environmental Impact of Industrial Development in the North, Effects of Climate Change on Sea and Coastal Ecology in the North, Sea Ice in the Arctic Ocean, Technology and Agreements, Hazardous Substances, Effects of Climate Change on Terrestrial Ecosystems, Landscape, Society, and Indigenous Peoples, and made with the support of the Norwegian Arts Council. Ice Nine partners include Tromsø Municipality, the Nansen Legacy Research Project, and the North Norwegian Art Museum. Hello X theme music by Metatag on Hell Audio and episode music by Theda, specially composed for this episode, Susan Tuck, and by artists contributing to the Piper Colobo Centridus Purple Tipped. Echinometra Plinthocelium, a not applicable compilation, including tracks by Leverton Fox, Alex Bonney, Isambard Kristalyov, Tolga Tuzun, Tangents, Lothar Olmeyer, Ben, and Zamyatin. Hello X is supported by Spotterbank, Northern Norway, the Free Speech Foundation, Innovation Norway, and Koro Public Art Norway. Hello X is produced by Ice Nine with Christine Sin, Annelies Dieberg, and Valentin Mans. Associate producers include Marina Boravaya and Annika Vistrom. Natural Science and Social Science Advisor Anne Eileen Leonard. Sound mix by Nathaniel Gustin. Digital design by Ismet Bakhtiar. Story generator developed by Frickle Industries. And we leave you with Fear of Mapping, Maurizio Ravelico's left-handed marching army version by the ever-popular Fium Shark on Not Applicable.